This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a guten Erev Shabbos. I'm Mashi Lipsker. This is Chai FM, 101.9 Chai FM. And I'm delighted to be here with you. And especially delighted because this week I had a great experience. I was invited to come to our parents' home and met with some of the elders of our community fine, refined people, loving people, caring people, people from whom we can learn so much, people with a tremendous amount of life's experiences, things to share, wisdom, a calm, an insight, and it was truly a privilege. And they mentioned that they listened, so I want to say hello to my new friends out there, at our parents' home, and it was indeed a pleasure to meet you all this week and hope to see you all again very soon. The Chumash, the holy book of the five books of the Torah that we began last week, is the book of Shmois. It's translated as Exodus because one of the highlights is the Exodus of our nation from Egypt. However, The name of the book literally means names, shmot, names. And there are many lessons to be learned from this. But one of them is that every individual, by name, every individual is tremendously important. Not only important in a family, in a community, but actually important to God himself. The fact that we are here, the fact that we have been born, the fact that we are still here is an indication that we complete all of creation. We have a job to do, otherwise we wouldn't be here. We have a mission. And the older we get, the more experience we have, the more insight The more clarity, the more the world needs us. It isn't about the hype and about the noise. It isn't necessarily about the passion and vigor of youth. It really is about refinement. It really is about focus, about insight. And all of us together complete creation. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And a good Nerev Shabbos to all the listeners. Today, Shabbos is welcomed in by lighting the candles at 647. Unless you're in a shul that takes on Shabbos at a set time all year round, the days are long. This is probably the longest Friday, and Shabbos will not go out tomorrow night until 7.43. In fact, it's a special Shabbos, Shabbos Mevorchim, the Shabbos that we will bless the new month of Shvat. Rosh Chodesh will be on Wednesday, Tuesday night and Wednesday, so Wednesday is the first day of the month of Shvat. And although from our childhood, Tu Bishvat is what Shvat is known for, 
Shvat actually has many, many other incredible, wonderful dates, some dating back all the way to Moshe himself. On the first day of Shvat, Moshe Rabbeinu began on his last 36 days of life to teach the Jewish people to review their entire history together. The entire book of Devarim, of Deuteronomy, begins with the word Ve'elah Dvarim, and if you count up the word Ela, you will come to the number 36. And Moshe spoke that entire book for the entire month, as it were, just over a month before he passed away, because he passed away on the seventh day of Adar. And all of us, each and every one of us, connect with the time in the best way that we can. In reading the Torah these days, we connect to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, known as Moshe, our teacher, the Torah is called in Moshe's name, Torah Moshe. Moshe, who was known as the Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd, or the shepherd of faith. Moshe, whose level was Chochmah, whose level was divine intellect to understand Torah and to bring it down to the people. And the ultimate example, the epitome of leadership, is the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu. As our sages tell us, that there is an extension of Moshe in every generation. That we continue to draw on a leader who nurtures our faith, who takes that inborn emuna that we have, and he is the one who helps to bring it to the fore. Our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they started this. And we studied about them and we lived with them for 12 parshiot from Breshit, from Simchas Terah and Shabbos Breshit. And of course, two weeks ago, we had Shabbos Chazak where we finished the story of Jacob. Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. In this book of Shmot, we see the seeds begin to sprout. Our patriarchs planted incredible seeds with their deeds, with their example, with their meeting of challenges. And they came down into Egypt. Yaakov came down with his entire family, but it was still a family his descendants in the book of Shemot, in Parshat Shemot and onwards, are being transformed into a nation. Later on in the book, they will receive their code for life, the Torah. The Torah which tells us with great detail and care how to live a good life, a full life, a productive life. They also prepare to fulfill their mission in life, which is to build a home for God in this world by building a sanctuary, a mishkan, which is God's home on earth. Of course, each one of us 
each woman builds a mishkan in her own home, a place where God will feel welcome. The book is called Shmot because through the events that are chronicled in this book, Shmot, the nation and each individual Jew shame the individual, I call you by name, receives his identity, his personal identity as a person, as a Jew, and our national identity as Jews. But why then does it have to start with a descent into Egypt? Because the key to the process is difficulty, is exile. King Solomon called Egypt the Kur Habarzel, the iron furnace that burns away the dross that leaves only the pure metal. The essential point of who we are is what really matters to us when all else is not an option. What is important to us in life? And how do we rise up to access with self-determination what in times of prosperity and freedom is just dormant? The easy life, the life at home, the life... In our parents' home, my life as a child, my life as a teenager, when my parents' warm arms were around me. But then there's outside the cocoon, exile. And exile calls forth our hidden potential. We hit the world. We hit the outside. We no longer have everything taken care of us. And now the question is, will we survive? Will we succumb or will we survive? Despite all these odds against us, when we have to face the challenges of the world, the challenges of exile, we can't sit back. We can no no longer take life for granted. And we have to make a decision. Am I going to survive Am I going to succumb or overcome? How important is life to me? Do I want to rise up, access all of my hidden potential, all of my untapped energy, gifts, and abilities to meet this challenge? And that was Egypt. That was the first exile. Golos Mitzrayim was a spiritual exile as well as a physical exile. What comes first? A spiritual exile comes first. A spiritual exile always precedes the physical exile because our physical lives are a manifestation, an expression of the spiritual that came before. So they came down as a family. They came down with the patriarch Jacob. They came down knowing who they were, where they came from, and they came down knowing exactly who they were and what they had to do. But something happened. 
what happened in Egypt. We'll be right back after this short station break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. A good nerve, Shabbos. I'm thrilled to be with you and to share with you some thoughts, some inspiration on the Parsha. We're dealing with the exile in Egypt, which is famous. Pesach time, we read it in the Haggadah, how they enslaved us with backbreaking labor, with soul-destroying labor. We couldn't breathe. They took our children. They threw them into the Nile. They enslaved us. They crushed our spirits, our bodies, our family life. But what came before that? Always before a physical descent, before a practical exile, something happens. It's when we succumb to the mores and values of the host culture. When we no longer put being Jewish first. When we no longer put Torah values first. When we no longer know who we are and what we're doing in this world. And since Mitzrayim, Egypt, was the first exile, it's a prototype. It's a clear example of what would happen over and over again in the future exiles, which is what we're trapped in still today. In Egypt, they succumbed. They wanted to be Egyptian. They wanted to be like their host culture. The more the mores, the values, the more they stayed in that country, the more they became more Egyptian than the Egyptians. It led to a loss of identity, a loss of divine awareness, a loss of the awareness that Hashem is involved in everything in our lives, in every breath that we take, in every event that happens, in every juxtaposition of meetings, the one we're married to, who our children are, the country we live in, what happens to us on a daily basis, on a minute-to-minute, on a micro-second-to-microsecond basis. We are here because of God's involvement and things that happen to us overwhelmingly are because of God's divine providence. So the family of Yaakov goes down into a progressively more and more severe physical exile, assimilation, loss of sense of who I am, loss of identity. And as we read of this vicious enslavement, this severe physical exile between the lines, we are reading a deeper exile. We can discern an exile that is so bitter because it's a loss of a sense of identity. And they descend further and further. And every time we read about Pharaoh, about another decree, about the viciousness, we understand that their loss of identity is so overwhelming 
the bitterness that they feel, not just with the whip on their back, but that sense of hopelessness. Who am I? What am, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why do I deserve this? Where can I go from here? In which direction is all of this taking me? But that's the stage set for revealing who we really are. When things external are stripped away, we are no longer just at home, melting in, everybody's smiling, we're being taken care of, we're being accepted, we're being expelled, we're being rejected, we're being mocked, we're being looked down upon. The stage is set for us to discover who we are and to make a choice, a conscious choice to make life valuable, to use the moments to plant so that what will sprout will be meaningful, eternally meaningful. So the Parsha that was read last week describes the exile the spiritual descent and then the horrors of the enslavement. And yet it's called Shmois, Shmot. Identity, individual. But the plural, because as a nation, each one of us is valuable as an individual in our personal lives and in our joined mission, in our shared mission. We are here to receive God's word and to make this world a fitting dwelling place, an abode for God himself. And we come to this week's parsha. And this week's parsha, Vo'era, God says, and I appeared. If you count up the numerical value of the Vov, which is six, and the Aleph, which is one, the two first Letters of the Parsha, it adds up to seven, because the first of the the seven, the first of the ten, sorry, the seven, seven, the oh boy, the first seven of the ten plagues is described, is visited upon the Egyptians in Parshas for Era, and the word for Era seven, vav and aleph, and then the aleph and the resh, oyer. Light, insight, clarity. God used these disasters to show the Jewish people, to show the Egyptians, to show the entire world with clarity, with oyer, that Hashem is the sole master over all of creation and over all of its forces and as powerful as the planets, as nature, as the seasons seem to be. Hashem is directing all of this. So it's as it were in Parshas Vayera that Hashem now comes out of hiding. The Jews have been crying out to Hashem and in last week's Parsha he has sent them the leadership of Moshe and Aharon. And now Vayera and I appeared. God is going to show with clarity that Pharaoh is not the master, but that God is the master. That we can see that despite the seeming 
horrors, despite the horrors that have no seeming rhyme or reason, it's now an important step. And in last week's parsha, Moshe questions God. Why have you dealt so harshly? Why have you dealt so cruelly with this people? Why did you send me? And God's answer at the beginning of the Parsha is directed to Moshe. Moshe, who is Chochmah, who is intellect, doesn't understand this. But he's also speaking as the faithful shepherd. God, how can you do this? It doesn't make sense. And God is going to introduce a lesson for Moshe, which is going to grow Moshe into the ultimate leader. A leader who's going to teach us something powerful. When intellects Intellect tells us that something is wrong, something is amiss. This doesn't make sense. God says, on the one hand, it's okay to shout. You can shout, why have you dealt harshly? Why is this happening? How can you hurt these people? But at the same time, you've got to nurture faith. These questions can be asked while at the same time, We don't in the slightest undermine God's running of this world. We have an unshakable faith and a muna and a trust in God's presence, in his goodness, in his love. So at the same time, as we can be screaming an impassioned plea to God, accusing God, an anguished cry of the people. Save us. What's going on here? And we may question. And we can hurl impassioned questions to God because it feels wrong. And we don't understand. But our questioning doesn't interfere with our absolute faith, our absolute trust. Neither does it interfere with our absolute obligation to carry out our mission. Each one of us, by name, has a mission on earth. In fact, our name is connected to our soul. Names aren't given randomly when a parent names a child. He gets divine prophecy And we cannot allow anything to interfere with our mission on earth. Who gave us the mission? Hashem did. Our missions are according to God's will for us. And at the same time that we're shouting out in pain, pleading with God, why? We give gratitude for the opportunity of carrying out, of performing our God-given mission. God's will for us is that we go through this and that we still hold our heads up high and that we still are able to be grateful for the privilege of being a partner in making this world a dwelling place for God.
But how do we achieve this? How in the world does one do this when one is in pain, when one is trapped, when one is physically, emotionally, mentally traumatized, when one is spiritually hungry? We need leaders. Leaders who guide us, mentors who enable us, each one of us, each name, to access the wellsprings of faith that each one of us carries, that God has given to us, so that we can actualize the huge task of carrying out our mission with gratitude, with joy, with joy, and at the same time being real and feeling the exile, feeling the pain, feeling how far we are from Hashem. Well, it began with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. It began at the very beginning of time that the Parsha begins with now. Hashem says, I appeared to the patriarchs. I appeared to Abraham. I appeared to Isaac. And I appeared to Jacob. That was the beginning. They were leaders and we carry their DNA. We carry their faith inside each one of us. And it continued. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their incredible, incredible wives, all royal, powerful, beautiful, full of awareness, spiritual achievement, sensitivity, but so real. Real. They lived in the world, but so connected above that they were able to draw down God's presence wherever they went. And now, so we had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, three generations, and we had Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes. And the third son was Levi. That's generation four. And from Levi comes now into play, into action, generations five, six, and seven. Five is Yocheved, the daughter of Levi. Six is Amram, her husband. He marries his aunt. And seven are their children, Aharon, Miriam, and then Moshe. Generations who worked with the people, who inspired the people, who led the people, and inspired leadership in the people. So in these parshas, we're dealing with a family. We're continuing the story of the family of Levi, the family of the Levim. You know, Yocheved was born as they entered Egypt. She was number 70 of the original 70 souls who came down into Egypt with Jacob. And she was 17 years old when her grandfather passed away. She had 17 amazing years in his presence. Levi, her father, lived the longest of all the brothers. He had a huge influence on her. Her grandfather, her father, they filled her with incredible strength. She saw it modeled for her. It was taught to her. Their love, their example, 
their passion, their connection to a great goal. And although as she grew up, the exile deepened, the darkness, the spiritual void grew, she remained connected. Not only that, but she remained connected to the people as well. She was a great nurturer. She was a great teacher. The last 17 years that Jacob lived in Egypt, the number 17 adds up to the number toiv, good, 17. The tes is nine, the vav is six, and the base is two. Nine and six is 15, and two more is 17. Somehow, the best years, as it were, of Jacob's life were in Egypt. Yes, he was reunited with Joseph. He saw what Joseph was doing. But how could it be? The third Rebbe, as a child, the Tzemach Tzedek asked his grandfather, as a little boy in Cheder, how can it be? He had learned that in Cheder, that the best years of the patriarch Jacob's life was in Egypt. And his grandfather answered him. He said, because he sent Yehuda ahead, he sent the fourth son ahead to establish a house of learning or houses of learning. And when we study the Torah, we are connected to God. And when we are connected to God, no matter where we are or what's going on, we have goodness. We access the deep spiritual understanding that this, too, is for the good. But it all has to do with connection. So in this Parsha, we have the lineage. It starts with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had Reuven, Shimon, and then Levi. And then, at length, the Torah tells us who the children of Levi were. He had three sons, Gershon, Kahos, and Merori. He had a daughter, Yocheved. And then Kahos had Amram. And Yocheved and Amram married. And they had Moshe. And they had Aaron. They had Miriam. And of course it says who Aaron married. And the children that he had. A beautiful family. Haim Hamidabrim. Hu Moshevi Aaron. These were the people who were speaking to Pharaoh. This is Moshe and Aaron. You have to come from somewhere. What I saw at our parents' home this week, it's where we come from. We'll be right back after this short station break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. And we're talking family. We're talking Moshe, the great leader. We're talking family. Look at the mother and the father. Look at the sister of Moshe. Look at the brother of Moshe. Moshe was the third child to be born. To see who Moshe was, have a good look at where he was raised, where he came from, and look at the women who brought him up. Look at his mother, Yocheved. Look at his sister, Miriam. They're referred to in the previous parsha as Shifra and Pua. There are many, many 
wonderful things said about them, not only in the Torah but in the Medrash. Our sages tell us the most incredible things about these two women. They were the ones who kept the spirits of the other women up. Things were rough. Things were, if we think a concentration camp was terrible, apparently this was like that. This was cruelty, viciousness, vindictiveness. This was horrible crushing and death. And there were two women from the tribe of Levi who did not give up. What was it about the tribe of Levi when the exile began? Not just the descent into Egypt, but when Pharaoh called for the citizens to come and build cities for him. And what he really had in mind was to stop the great population growth of the Jewish people. The tribe of Levi never signed up. They remained the teachers. They remained studying and also guiding. They were the leaders. They did not assimilate the way the rest of the nation did at that important point when Pharaoh invited them to be part of his project. And therefore, they were free to come and go. How was it that everybody else was enslaved and Moshe and Aaron were able to do what they wanted, as it were? Where was the slavery on Yocheved and Miriam? And that is because the insight of their forefathers who saw that, no, we're not going to go for this. We are going to continue to study and do what a Jew does. And so we want to see where does Moshe come from. Moshe was raised, nurtured in the most incredible environment. But when I went to our parents' home this week, I was able to meet people who reminded me of my wonderful Bobe and her mother. And we need to talk about these people because we need to aspire to be more like them. We have become so fancy. We've become so obsessed with external things that it swallows us up. We've become overly obsessed with things that are transient. Let's rather talk about who we are, where we come from, and what our mission is on earth. Let us rather think about and care about where this world is going because of us. Each one of us is really, really important. And the people there in our parents' home, there's so many of them, and in Sandringham Gardens, they carry a life filled with experience that so many are struggling to figure out. It reminds me of the story of a rabbi who came to see the Rebbe. This rabbi was involved in what we call outreach. He was trying to reach the people. And he told the Rebbe, I work mainly with young people. 
and he went on to explain to the Rebbe, to elaborate, that he was of the opinion of the importance of engaging youth in order to build a greater Jewish future. And so many people are of that opinion. And the Rebbe said to him as follows, very gently, while it is vital to work with youth, remember not to neglect the older generation. When Moshe went to Pharaoh to ask that he let the people go, he did it on behalf of everyone. He said, It's not this parsha, But he said, We will go with our youth and with our elderly. Yiddishkeit is not just worried about, concerned with continuity, the future. But Yiddishkeit is concerned with every individual within the community. Because each one of us has a vital role to play that the next one cannot fulfill. It is shmot. Each name is important. Each and every one, no matter their age, completes all of creation. And we must see to it to honor everyone, to uplift everyone, and to understand that when we are in the presence of the elderly, we should stand up, we should honor them, the word Zakain in Hebrew is actually an acronym for Zeh Kona Chachma. This one has acquired wisdom. There is wisdom that can only be acquired with experience, with years. And nobody who is who hasn't walked the road, anybody who's still young, has not acquired that life's wisdom. In Yiddish we say, You have to really be, well, I'll never forget. Um, I was teaching in high school and teaching something about relationships. And one young lady came and said, My father says your spouse is your sandpaper. An interesting idea. Life is a sandpaper. Life refines us. Hopefully, it doesn't break us. It doesn't leave us rough. It makes us smoother, sweeter, gentler, more caring, more focused on what is really important. So when Moshe came to Pharaoh, he didn't say we're going to leave the old people here. With our youth and with our elders, we shall go. Everybody completes the nation. And don't forget, everybody was once a beautiful little baby. It's God's will that we age in the way that we do, that our bodies become less significant, but our souls shine out. The weaker the body gets, the stronger the spirit gets. And do yourself a favor. Go and visit some of these wonderful, holy, spiritual people who are available who are at Sandringham Gardens in our parents' home, an entire congregation, generation of the most wonderful, wonderful people. So back to the Parsha. They were in Egypt. And Egypt is a rough place. And the question is, 
What was the use? And we said before, because only in times of difficulty, of pressure, do we have the choices. And we can rise to the occasion and access abilities that have not yet been developed inside of us. And again, there's a story of a young man. He was a congregational rabbi, and he was at a crossroads. He was being offered a teaching job, and he was passionate about Jewish education, but wondering if this was the next step in his career because he was concerned about the community. He was concerned about leaving the rabbinate. And he said to the rabbi, should I stay on as a rabbi or should I become a teacher? And the rabbi said, the question you need to ask yourself is, where will I be able to have the greatest impact on the largest group of people? It's not about me. It's about God's world. It's not about what I want to do. It's about what does God want me to do? It's not about what I need, but what I'm needed for. And the answer that the Rebbe gave him was that way. In the classroom, he said, you'll have 20 or 30 students per year. But if you work in the community, your sphere of influence extends to so many more If Hashem has given you the ability to lead a community, that is the correct choice for you. And look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu could not speak clearly. One would think that to be a leader, you need to be able to be eloquent and speak. And Hashem said, no, it's okay. Aaron will speak. You will speak as well. You tell Aaron what to say. And the question is asked, why in the world would Moshe have to go to Pharaoh? Maybe just Aaron should go to Pharaoh. And the answer is that Moshe would speak the words that God told him to speak. And then Aaron would explain it, translate it, etc. But Moshe would speak the original, the cryptic message, staying true to the source. Why? Pharaoh didn't understand. And the answer is, Moshe came as God's messenger. And when you come as God's messenger, what you say has impact. They may not understand it intellectually. And you might not be able to speak. You might say, who, me? Let others do it. And the answer is, it's not us that's doing the job. It's God. But we, in this world, just need to be the conduit. We need not to shy away from doing what needs to be done because we think we're not capable, we're not equipped, we're not trained. If we speak God's word, it will enter into their hearts. Which brings us to the other story, how there was a young rabbi who came to the Rebbe in the early 70s, and he asked the Rebbe that he recently received an offer to become a rabbi in a congregation in in the South, in Tennessee. He said, but I'm concerned about moving my family. That place doesn't have a Jewish environment. My children may stray from Yiddishkeit, God forbid. And the Rebbe's response was powerful. He said, to the contrary, 
by being a part of the creation of a Jewish environment where there is none, your children will become stronger Jews. In fact, they will be stronger than if they were to live within an established religious community or religious environment which could be taken for granted. There's a big difference between a passive participant and a proactive proponent. Each one of us needs to know that we too are in exile. And very often, we're being squeezed, we're being crushed. We must cry out to God, but at the same time know that everything that's happening is God's will and part of the map that he's drawing for us as individuals. Each and every one of us must know that the descent is for a greater ascent, that the iron furnace that we've been cast into is for the purpose of purifying us. At the same time, we must cry out. We must connect. At the same time, we must study the Torah so that the connection is strong. Our mitzvahs, our Torah, give us life, give us hope, give us optimism. Light your candles today, whether you're at a shul that takes in Shabbos the same time, light at 6.15. Otherwise, you have until 6.47. Bring in Shabbos. Let's bless the new month of Shvat. And let's look forward to great redemption ahead. Good Shabbos.